0: You're listening to What We Believe and Why with Dr. George Byron Koch. You might find it helpful to have the book of the same name in front of you, and if that's the case, you can get it in paperback, ebook, or even an audiobook from whatwebelieveandwhy.com. We encourage you to pick up your own copy to assist in your studies of theology. When we went to the break, we were just starting to unpack John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. There's a lot of material here. Let's get back into it. Here's George. This passage from John 3, 1 through 21
1: is rich, rich with explicit meanings and implications. But we'll focus on just a few key elements for now. It begins with Nicodemus. He is a leader of the Jews and a Pharisee. Not all leaders of the Jews were Pharisees, and not all Pharisees were leaders, but Nicodemus was both. As a Pharisee, he belonged to a religious sect that rigorously practiced intentional holiness, obedient, observant, even beyond what the biblical text of the law explicitly required. When Jesus criticizes some of the Pharisees, not uncommon in scripture. It is typically for pride or hypocrisy, not for attempting to be obedient or to please God. That's another issue. But here, the key thing to understand about Nicodemus is his rigorous effort to be holy, part of what it meant to be a Pharisee, and the fact that he is a leader of the Jews, meaning that he is respected and elevated for his knowledge, wisdom, discernment, obedience, character, and conduct. Those around him regard him as a wise and holy man. In fact, the proof of his actual wisdom and discernment is in the simple fact that he sees the evidence that Jesus has come from God to teach the Jews. The miraculous signs of healing, feeding thousands and more are a witness to the supernatural power of God present in Jesus, and Nicodemus understands this. So he comes to see Jesus. He comes at night. The reason isn't given, but the simple fact that this is mentioned inclines us to infer that he didn't want to be seen. Others, especially those Jesus had accused of hypocrisy or pride, would likely attack anyone who sought out Jesus or believed in him. But remember here also that Jesus, his disciples, the community, and its leaders were all Jewish. Jesus isn't an outsider attacking the Jews as a people, but rather a member of the tribe who has spoken out against corruption in the hearts of those leaders especially who pretend to be holy but are not. Nicodemus opens the conversation with Jesus by declaring his belief about Jesus having come from God to teach them. And though he is correct in what he discerns and declares, Jesus responds rather oddly, effectively saying, yes, but you missed the more important truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Here is where we begin to unpack the Greek meanings. It is obvious that this confused Nicodemus, who heard it in the original language. It might have been Greek, but it also could have been Aramaic or Hebrew, but it confused Nicodemus. It is also confusing to us, even upsetting, because Jesus leaps in a different direction from where Nicodemus expects the conversation to go. So let's unpack it a bit. The kingdom of God isn't a place, but means God's power and authority over everything. If you live in a country without a king, this is a foreign concept and easily misunderstood. Think about it this way. I was born in Chicago, so I am a citizen of the United States, and I retain that identity regardless of which state I am in. I am under the authority and protection of our Constitution— It gives me rights and responsibilities as a citizen, and no state, mayor, governor, policeman, neighbor, or president can deny them to me. Various leaders and institutions have tried over the years to ignore or override the Constitution, but it holds the final authority. The point is the source of authority and protection. In the United States, it's the Constitution. In a kingdom, it's the King. The Constitution is the authority in this country, and the agencies of government are established to enforce that authority. My birth here makes that fully accessible to me. Were I born into a Roman family in the time of Jesus, I would have been born as a subject of the Caesar, the Roman word for king. The king's rule and authority extend not just to the lands that Rome controlled, but to every person born as a Roman citizen. Not only am I subject to the king's rule and authority always and everywhere, but I am also protected by his rule and authority always and everywhere, which is why elsewhere in Scripture, the soldiers and others are frightened into treating Paul properly the instant they learn he was born a Roman citizen. Rome ruled the known world, Paul's birth as a Roman citizen meant he was under the protection of Caesar. When Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about the kingdom of God, he is describing God's authority over everything, including Nicodemus, the Pharisees, the Jews, the Romans, the Greeks, the trees, bugs, dirt, stars, everything. But he says you can't enter it. That is, become a citizen of the kingdom unless you are born into it. This point would be clear to Nicodemus. When modern Christians talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, they often conjure countless adjectives about majesty, glory, honor, as if the main image is heavenly pomp and circumstance, a giant and glorious show as we fall on our knees in worship before his throne. I love that image, and I will be thrilled to fall on my knees at his throne. But Jesus isn't trying to conjure that vision for Nicodemus. He's making the point that becoming a citizen of the kingdom of heaven requires being born there. And then, and only then, Do all of its protections and obligations become a birthright? Jesus is saying, in effect, in the miracles you have witnessed me perform, you have glimpsed only a tiny flash of God's true power and authority. You have no idea how infinite it really is, and you will never see it fully, nor be a citizen of it unless you are born into it, born again into the kingdom of God. Further, born again in the original Greek literally is born from above, implying born from out of heaven. Both are apt translations because the point Jesus is making is this. When you are born into this world out of your mother's womb, that is out of water, you can then for the first time see and participate in this world in which you now live. Similarly, to see and participate in the kingdom of God, you must also be born into it, out of the Spirit's womb, that is, of spirit. Note that the Greek does not say the womb of the Spirit, and I'm not using the term to imply anything about the gender of the Holy Spirit, but simply to help convey that the image Jesus has intentionally chosen in talking about it to Nicodemus is a birth metaphor. The terminology graphically reflects the act of childbirth. Nicodemus seems stunned. And Jesus presses the point, basically saying, you can't see or engage the kingdom of God because you haven't been born into it yet. So no amount of my describing it to you will give you an understanding of it. He also asserts that no one else knows about the things of heaven or the kingdom of God, except someone who has been there. And no one has gone there and returned. But Jesus says he came from there, so he knows whereof he speaks. Jesus is also making a point here about all of us, not just Nicodemus. In both verse 7, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again, and verse 12, But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? His use of the word you is plural in the Greek, which means, of course, that what is necessary for Nicodemus to enter the kingdom of heaven is just what is necessary for us as well. Jesus doesn't explain yet exactly what this means, or how it happens, or what life will be like after it happens. But he does say it must happen. We will continue to unpack this more fully as we move on. But this is where Jesus says it all begins.
0: And so we'll take him at his word. Thank you, Pastor George. Well, it's great to know that Jesus is not just talking to Nicodemus there. He's talking to all of us. There's something in that passage we can all Take to heart. Dr. George Byron Koch is a respected teacher and leader, known for his ability to communicate the essentials, the basics of faith. And he does so with the book, What We Believe and Why. And this is not a small book but neither is it a small topic. If you really want an in-depth but accessible introduction to the faith, we invite you to stop by whatwebelieveandwhy.com to get your own copy. It's available in paperback, ebook. There's an audiobook edition available as well, which would make a great companion to a long commute that you might have. We thank you for joining us. We hope you'll swing by next time when What We Believe and Why with Dr. George Byron Coke comes your way